Right now in America, one in 10 people are currently in recovery from drug or alcohol addiction. And of those, some 50 to 90% will relapse at some point in their lives. Because of the power of addiction, many of them may never regain their recovery. Hi, I'm Ron Chapman. I'm an alcoholic with nearly three decades of sustained sobriety. If there's one thing I know about substance abuse recovery, it's that recovery is always a work in progress. Progressive recovery is a commitment to continuously moving forward every day to strengthen one's recovery. Recovery isn't just about learning how to not use. It's about the willingness to tackle the underlying issues that trigger using in the first place. Welcome to Progressive Recovery. People sharing stories from their daily fight for sobriety. Welcome again to Progressive Recovery, our podcast interviews. We're setting with Anita today, and Anita is tall, willowy, quite attractive. She's 30 years old. She got sober at 25, so that's five years. We're going to talk today about what I like to refer to as the learn and grow step, what they say in the recovery rooms is the 10th step. The thing that would most strike you about Anita is you'd talk to her and you would say, this woman has got her shit together, which is foreshadowing for some of what Anita has to tell us. Anita, give us the thumbnail on you. What's your story? Well, as you said, I got sober five years ago, and I would say that most people would have said, as you said, that I had my shit together until I didn't, and I um, reached my bottom and fell on my ass. And uh, I think I've always been a perfectionist from day one and always been preoccupied with outward appearances. And so I consider my story to be one of being a perfectionist, um, imploding spectacularly, and then slowly realizing that my imperfections are what makes me me. Imploding spectacularly. <laughs> that, that, that begs a little bit of explanation. How did you implode spectacularly? Right. Well, I've always had a flair for the dramatic. So to me, it <laughs> felt like I was imploding spectacularly. Um, essentially, I grew up in a family with a lot of secrets. Um, where things weren't really said and everyone was very polite. And it was told to me that, you know, as long as it looked like everything was fine, then it was fine. And that was really um, the thing to be concerned about. So I was always an achiever. I always wanted to make good grades, make as few waves as possible. And I learned how to slip under the radar very quickly um, because if I was good at faking it, then I could do whatever I wanted underneath as long as I wasn't making big waves. And so fast forward to my teenage years, um, you know, I had the moment when I was about 14 um, that I drank for the first time and um, accompanied that with the heavy marijuana use for a long time uh, that I thought, oh, okay, this is, this is what I was looking for. And really until I talked to um, other, other alcoholics, um, I didn't realize that not everybody had that aha moment where, you know, that feeling that I got, I just wanted it all the time. 
my mind has always been very active and that was the first time where I felt like I could slow my mind down and um, get to a measure of peace because the gears weren't always turning. Um, I definitely can be an anxious person and uh, I didn't feel anxious, you know, after I drank for the first time. I also drank to blackout for the first time. Um, blackout. Say, say blackout. To some of our listeners, that's probably new information. What's right. a blackout? Sure. So blackout uh, meant that I was drinking. I remember drinking. And then after a certain point, I don't remember anything after that. And the next thing I remember is being less drunk and, you know, coming out of it. So I had no recollection of what I did when I was drinking after a certain point. And that happened the very first time I drank. And it's something that happened over and over again, um, you know, the entire time I drank. And so, again, that was something I didn't realize was abnormal for quite some time. I thought that that happened to everybody when they drank. Um, And surprisingly, it wasn't really a big concern for me. I thought that it was somewhat liberating. I didn't even have to worry about what I did or overthink it or, you know, ruminate on it because I didn't even remember. And that was strangely convenient for me. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great phrase. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that's, you know, that's one way to deal with, or one way to cultivate a sense of not caring is just to actively, you know, work on disremembering it. So, so was it, was it really stressful being you when you, when you said not caring about it? Was it really stressful being you? Incredibly stressful. Um, and I knew that appearing like a stressful person was not necessarily a, a quality that made one attractive, you know. Um, I never thought like, oh, that person's so stressed out, I really want to be their friends. And so um, I was, you know, just thinking about every little thing, um, really coming up with contingency plans for the contingency plan and thinking about um, how I could best succeed. And ultimately, um, I think I realized that it was just that I was just so exhausted that um, it just it was taking up so much of my mental energy um, that I just wanted a way for it for that all to stop. And I didn't really have any coping mechanisms or any other you know any healthy ways to get that to stop. Now I know there are lots of things you know meditation, being honest with somebody, et cetera, et cetera, that can help with that. But really the first thing I found that worked um, was alcohol. And so that was the one thing I knew I could do. Um, And it's, you know, in the short term, it stopped the stress. It was great. Um, But in the long term, it just caused more stress because um, I felt like I was living a double life. I felt like, uh, you know, I could project this appearance of being fine, which um, I really was startlingly good at, you know. There were times at which I thought, oh my goodness, am I a sociopath? (laughs) And, you know, (laughs) now I think that having that thought was probably an indication that I was, in fact, not a sociopath. Um, But, you know, this ability to project a very calm, cool exterior while wildly churning inside, you know, mentally and physically, um, was always a, well, whatever you want to call it, a strength or a weakness of mine. And, uh, so it became more and more difficult for me as I, you know, drank more and more, um, to 
keep those two worlds separate because as my alcohol use increased, you know, the amount of time I spent in blackout not remembering increased. And then all these people, you know, saw me um, at my worst. And, you know, that didn't look anything like the person that I was trying to project the rest of the time. So it really started to create this, um, this horrible reality. Those parts sort of rose to the surface in a way I had never imagined that they would. So what's that horrible reality look like? I mean, are you just, do you just lose control? Um, you know, it looks, well, actually for a long time I had no idea what it looked like. Um, you know, I knew that I would be friendlier, I would be less inhibited, I would, um, you know, just be more relaxed and less uptight and all these things that I wanted for myself that I didn't know how to get. But, um, you know, I, I also got sad and angry um, in a way that, you know, I was just startled that those those emotions even existed inside of me. So the way I actually found out really how I was capable of getting was um, I had someone take a, well, not, I mean, someone without me knowing took a recording um, on their phone of me uh, being extremely drunk, being in blackout. Um, this was my significant other at the time. And he showed me this video the next morning um, and said, do you know what happened last night? I said, no, I have no idea. And I watched this video and it was so horrifying. Um, it was just, you know, I was sure slurring my words and stumbling, but alternating between, you know, crying and being just a really angry, nasty person and acting like the closest thing I could compare it to um, was like a bum on the street who was, and like not, not a normal bum, like a really messed up bum on the street, you know, someone I would cross to the other side of the street to avoid because I was scared. Um, and that's what I saw. And the crazy thing about it is I was horrified for a minute, but then my, my next thought immediately was no one can ever see this. You know, you need to destroy this evidence. What if other people saw it? You know, um, not having realized that probably so many people cumulatively had seen me like this, but I just didn't remember. Um, but again, even even then, my my worst preoccupation was that you know someone would see this awful side of me. Um, someone would see the real me, and that nobody could like that person. Hmm. Sounds like it really was horrifying and seeing you in a completely inconsistent, uncomfortable way. Exactly. I mean, I think, and this is easy to say in retrospect, uh, because, you know, I have the luxury of having done a lot of reflective work, uh, but I think that I had no idea who I really was. Um, mm. I had never really done any work around that or... Um, really thought about it too much because I think that if I thought about it too much, the conclusion I would have come to, you know, was who I really am is someone scary, unlovable, pathetic, um, stressed out, you know, all of the worst parts of me that came out, um, at least over, most overtly when I was under the influence. Mm -hmm. So say a word about the bottom when it turned for you briefly, and then we'll talk a little bit about this learning and growing step. Absolutely. Uh, so the bottom, um, again, it was 
you know, I was drinking, when I drank, I drank a lot, but I didn't drink every day necessarily. Um, you know, I did smoke pot every day, um, and that was just a, mostly a calming, um, you know, anxiety reducing measure for me. But um, it wasn't until I tried to stop smoking pot that I started drinking a whole lot more. Um, and that was much more destructive, you know, much more quickly. And so um, to the outside, and, you know, I heard this over and over again um, after I got sober of people who just had no idea. So, um, you know, coworkers, a lot of family members, friends that I didn't see that often, they all thought I was fine. I had worked so hard to craft this image of um, the things that I thought you were supposed to want in your life. You know, the, um, I don't know, the nice picket fence house in the good neighborhood and the husband and, you know, vacations and, um, I don't know, having a job that was supposed to be fulfilling and being in graduate school and all of these things. Um, and then when I wasn't, carefully cultivating those things, I was, um, you know, getting drunk, alienating the people closest to me, and berating myself for it. And so um, there was one night where I went out, I started drinking. Um, the last drink I ever remember having was a pint glass of Jaeger, which I can't believe they even served me at the bar. It's just it's nauseating to think about. I, I was, I remember thinking shortly thereafter, shortly after I got sober, if I ever want to drink again, I just have to think about that drink because that, that ever was a good idea. Um, you know, is it's still a jarring thought to me today. And so, um, I stayed out all night. I was with, you know, people I didn't know very well. And my husband had gone home many hours before me. And I think we just gave up trying to get me home. And I was walking home the next morning, and I just thought, like, you know, the only people I was encountering, I was cutting home through a park, were, like, runners who were together and up at five in the morning to exercise, and homeless people, and I realized that, like, you know, if I were to identify with one group at this point, it would not be the compulsive exercisers, <laughs> and, uh, and I just, I had what I mean, I think to this day, what I can best describe is a moment of clarity. And I just thought, what, what is this? What am I doing? And then I had a conversation with my sister later that morning where I was just trying to make small talk. And, um, and she said, hold on a second. What are you doing? You know, she echoed that voice that I'd heard earlier. And um, for what felt like the first time in my life, I truly let my guard down. And I said, I don't know. I need help. Um, and what compelled me to say those words, I'm not sure, because they certainly, um, they were not in my vocabulary at that time, they never have been, um, because I always thought asking for help um, was a sign of weakness, and, uh, you know, with, within 48 hours after that, um, I checked myself into a treatment facility with my sister's help, halfway across the country where no one would know me, and you know, the northern Midwest in the dead of winter, and um, I promptly disappeared for a while, and, um, you know, that was the, the luckiest moment of my life, I guess. So that got you into the rooms, the rooms of Malcolics Anonymous. Exactly. And 
you work the steps. How did you first understand this, this, what's labeled the 10th step, but we're calling learning and growing, but it has a particular way that it's often practiced. How did you get exposed to the 10th step and what did it mean to you? Right, so I worked with a sponsor in Alcoholics Anonymous who was very literal about um, you know, following the steps. And so how I understood um, this step was to uh, write down um, every day a sort of balance sheet of what I had done well and what I had not done well and, um, you know, pray about it, ruminate on it, whatever, and, um, and then try to continue to do that, you know, throughout the day. Um, just kind of notice when, um, well, really what it ended up being for me was when I did something bad. Um, mm -hmm. I'm a lapsed recovering Catholic as well. <laughs> and uh, what this felt like for me right away, it was actually really familiar, this this 10th step, because it felt like going to confession and, um, you know, confessing my sins to someone. Um, in this case, it would be, um, you know, God as I understood God um, or my sponsor. Um, you know, when I was a Catholic, it was a priest slash God, you know, the priest was, seemed to me to be a stand-in for God, and um, I was supposed to do, you know, to say everything I did wrong, and then maybe feel better about it. I never hmm. quite got to the feel better part, you know, mostly I just felt really guilty. Um, huh. And so huh. what ended up happening was, it was really good for me to hold myself accountable in early sobriety, because I had spent so long just, um, you know, walking this path of destruction, and... Um, and really being so self-centered that I didn't care who I hurt along the way or what I did, um, you know, whether it was um, telling brazen lies or blowing people off or whatever it was. So to, to have to be accountable for those things was wonderful. Um, it was grueling but wonderful. But I seem to skip over the whole part where there was this part on the balance sheet, you know, where I was supposed to say what I had done well and... Um, you know, what had gone well for me and what I was grateful for and the, the things that came into my life um, that were bringing me um, feelings of peace and serenity and contentment. When in fact, that was a huge part of my life at that point because all of a sudden, you know, working a program of recovery, um, essentially being accountable for my actions and being honest with people was you know, making my life so much better. Um, and yet I was still finding so much to, to beat myself up over because I didn't have alcohol anymore to make me forget that I did all those mm. things. Yeah. Um, and so eventually um, I read a book uh, that was recommended to me by um, someone that I met in an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. Um, and... The book suggested um, that, uh, well, the, the author offered her interpretation um, of each of the steps. It was called Mindfulness and the Twelve Steps. And I was starting to practice meditation and getting in, um, interested in um, how mindfulness could you know, play a role in my recovery. And so um, the idea with um, this daily inventory in this book was instead of you know, writing down all of the bad things that I did or whatever I had been doing, um, it was to just ask yourself three questions. What have I received today? Um, and 
what that often looked like, my answer was like a gratitude list, everything I was grateful for that had happened. Um, what have I given? Um, and so there I could really think about, um, you know, where I was of service to other people um, and what difficulties have I caused. And I liked that question because, you know, it wasn't like, where was I bad? Where did I lie? It was, where did I introduce complications into my own life or the life of other people? You know, where was I not keeping it simple, which is something I was learning for mm. the first time to do um, instead of, you know, creating these complex webs of concern and contingency and anxiety that I'd had, you know, my whole life. Um, so that was... That was a really great step in the right direction for me. And I would say that um, that happened when I was about a year sober. Um, I started doing that step in that way. And gradually, um, you know, I started moving towards um, a different conception of, you know, being accountable, growing my understanding of myself, um, you know, being effective in the lives of others, and, you know, being in control of the things that I could change. Um, and that was really trying to live my life in a, in a mindful way. And by that, I mean being mindful of the patterns that I was repeating in my life, um, the, the sort of stories and narratives at work, um, in my life where, you know, the moments where I would do a thing or experience a thing and think like, oh, that again, huh, I, I thought I wasn't going to do that anymore. Um, and then also the, the patterns that were happening in my life that were really good, that I wanted to continue. Um, and so ultimately, you know, I guess this, this evolved into just peeling back what I was doing in my life that was allowing um, these patterns to emerge, whether they were patterns that I wanted to continue or that I didn't want to continue. So for me, this 10th um, this step is still about mindfulness more than ever, um, but it looks less like making a balance sheet at the end of the night and more like stopping myself all the time in, the, in my day, taking a moment to pause and say, okay, what's happening right now? What are you doing? You know, what is this? And often the answer is, you know, I'm reacting to discomfort in some way that I would rather not. Or, um, you know, I'm about to have a knee-jerk reaction um, that I didn't realize. And today, a lot of those reactions are good. You know, I have these intuitive reactions to, um, to life happening that I never would have had before. But um, I also still have a lot to work on, you know, whether that's how I react to traffic or, you know, the stories I tell myself when... I'm convinced that I'm doing a terrible job and nobody likes me or I'm about to get fired or, you know, all these little things that rear their head. It's about taking a moment, about pausing and saying, okay, what am I doing? What is this? So since I know you're in education, this begs the questions, which we sort of started with. Is so what would you say you've learned, Anita, and how have you grown as a result of this practice? What are the big take-homes for you? Oh, that's a great question. Let me think about that one for a moment. I would say I've learned that I am enough, meaning I am more 
than a sum of my failures or my accomplishments. That without any of those things, um, without anything that I, you know, um, that other people see as a success or a failure, just by just by being myself, by being Anita, that's enough. I am enough. And the most work that I have done um, is just, it's getting rid of stuff. It's not cultivating this new person. It's just trying to get rid of the voices in my head, my own voice, or, you know, voices of disapproval that I've picked up along the way. Um, it's, you know, getting rid of my own preconceived notions about who I'm supposed to be or what other people want from me. Um, it's just about getting rid of the noise. And, um, and for me, that's, I guess the way I would characterize it is this false sense of urgency. I, I heard someone um, in early sobriety say that a false sense of urgency is the number one um, sign that, you know, someone is a controlling person. <laughs> and this was, they said this in the context of, like, you know, how you knew you were in an abusive relationship. And I thought, well, I guess I'm in an abusive relationship with myself because I have this sense of urgency all the time. And, you know, if I don't do something fast enough or well enough, um, then I would just berate myself for it. And learning how to pause um, and having this principle be at work in my life um, where I can pause and say, okay, what am I doing? What's going on? You know, trying to understand that moment, uh, the moment before I do something that, you know, just is a knee-jerk reaction, um, is about not having this urgency to respond all the time and not having this pressure on myself that's about, um, I guess, having the right response. You know, just realizing that whatever response I end up happening, it just is, you know. Maybe it's one I want to have again. Maybe it isn't. Um, but I'm doing the best for where I'm at right now. And, and it's not perfect, but I truly believe that you know, it's, it's the best I can do today. And that's a long way away from hating myself. Um, you know, I never, I never wanted to kill myself before I got sober or since, but I certainly was very familiar with the feeling of being totally okay with not waking up the next morning, just feeling, you know, ambivalent about life at best. So you said something a moment ago that I'd like you to say a little bit more about because it really had a ring to it. You said, so I guess I had an abusive relationship with myself. Yeah. Can you paint the contrast for our listeners about this is a grow point, isn't it? Because I'm, I'm not hearing that in you now. So I wonder about the contrast between what it was to be so self-abusive or in a relationship with an abusive person yourself and, and, and what it's like now. How has that changed in you? Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, I guess I take it for granted that, um, you know, having known myself or um, been unlucky enough to observe myself at my worst, or I guess lucky because it's ultimately what, you know, um, helped get me where I am today, uh, it was a lot about, I think, um, the unpredictability um, of 
you know, an abusive relationship is, at least in my opinion, a hallmark. Um, and being very uncertain about what was going to happen next or, um, you know, what the person's going to do next. Um, I had no idea, um, you know, where my life was going because it was so volatile. Um, and I had amazingly, even though, you know, I was repeating such destructive patterns in my life, I had no idea, you know, a day that started with me saying, I'm going to go to work. I'm not going to drink. It's going to be good. It's going to be normal. You know, I'll eat three meals like a normal person. Maybe I'll pay my credit card bill. Might be a day that would end, you know, um, with me having lost everything because I left it somewhere and I couldn't remember. And, you know, I was passed out under a piece of furniture covered in vomit and waking up thinking, how did I get here? You know, it was just that sense of unmanageability and unpredictability in my life. Um, and I think there was also a sense of, um, you know, that, that trying to project an exterior of everything's okay and being so highly invested in other people, you know, thinking that everything's okay, um, for me is also a hallmark of an abusive relationship. And, um, you know, being at the point where I was convinced that if you thought I was okay, then I was okay. That mattered so much more to me than, you know, my own opinion deep down of what was going on. Um, you know, that, that was because I was being so terrible to myself and being, you know, and hating myself so much that, um, I didn't even want to look at, uh, you know, what my reality actually looked like. And in contrast with today, um, an amazing, piece of advice I got from another alcoholic and it still makes me laugh thinking about it because I still use this all the time is to think about what I'm saying to myself um, when I do something that I think is wrong and project that on a jumbotron that's following me around <laughs> and so it's amazing <laughs> to think about so for example um, yesterday uh, so I have some health problems that I'm not you know it makes me feel bad when I eat sugar um, I have lupus uh, and I'm supposed to stay away from sugar. I ate um, a lot of sugar because I found some frozen pie filling in the freezer that my husband had made. And I, I said to myself, you're a terrible person. This is making you sick. How on earth are you still, you know, eating it? And then what I did in my head was picture this jumbotron, this full stadium, and having those words be projected at myself because essentially that's what I'm doing to myself. Yeah. And it was so funny you know, because it was so, I would never say that to anybody else, um, that I had to laugh, and I guess it's just a reminder to be gentle with myself, and um, so what this principle has, has ultimately taken me from is, um, you know, from finding a reason to derate myself and self-flagellate to finding reasons all the time to be gentle with myself, and that, being gentle with myself, um, that is the biggest area, you know, I have for growth. I'm convinced that it's my lesson in this lifetime, learning how to do that. Because, um, you know, it took me 25 years to even learn that that was a thing, being gentle with yourself. No one had ever told me that I might, you know, do that sometime. And, uh, and I do it a lot more than I used to. Um, but I could stand to do it a lot more as well. And the funny thing about being gentle with myself is, the more I do it, 
you know, the less I end up doing things that I would want to even berate myself for. It mm. just kind of all starts to work out. That sounds like that sounds like a lot of growth. It is a lot of growth. And sometimes I forget that. And taking a look back, um, I'm really pretty astounded at what five years of sobriety and five years of working these principles has, has brought me. So I do have to point out one more contrast that I thought was really interesting. You know, the, the, the hallmark of your drinking story was, was blackouts, like, you know, like, and then, and how you talked about this, this practice, this mindfulness practice was like the antithesis of that, a lot of awareness practice. Mm. And so how, how ironic, I mean, how ironic that if, if, if out of control, completely, you know, lost in a blackout was defining and now you practice awareness, practice attention, paying attention. What a contrast. Wow. Wow. I had never thought of it that way. But I was really struck by it when you did that. That's pretty amazing. So can I reflect something at you? Absolutely. You know the word that most stuck when you were talking about your drinking career was how terribly lost you obviously were. Hmm. And yet, to use the cliché, Christianity, but still, is I hear so much of the tones of having found yourself now. Yeah, yeah, I definitely feel that way. Um, and I, I guess the, you know, I was so lost that I didn't even know I was lost, if that makes sense. I didn't even know what to look for. Um, and the gift of knowing myself and continuing to work on knowing myself where I would have otherwise been too afraid to even look. Uh, to me, that that is living, you know. Even though things are not always easy, I am living, you know. Um, and that is, it's exciting. It's a wild adventure. It's a beautiful Thanks for joining us in this episode of Progressive Recovery, which is available at ProgressiveRecovery.org and on iTunes.